Indeed, it is the heartbeat of this church and all of the churches within the Southern Baptist Convention uh, to see the Great Commission fulfilled. And over the next two months, you have an opportunity to set aside special offerings over and above your regular tithes and offerings to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which furthers world missions throughout the world. We have people who are lost and dying and going to hell. We have seven billion people upon the face of the earth. We were told this last week uh, that we reached that number of 7 billion people and each one is made and designed by God to be a worshiper in spirit and in truth and we have the message of the gospel that brings them to worship in spirit and in truth. It is indeed our heartbeat to be those who would further the gospel and see all of those all of the those who are created by God come to know him and to worship him. Indeed this morning as we begin I want to ask you what is worship? What is worship? How do you worship? Where do you worship? What is worship? Is worship just what you do at 1030 on Sunday mornings? Is it just what you do when you come together with a congregation of believers here within this world? How do you worship? Is it just when you come into the building? Well, pastor, I come in and I pray along with you a little bit and I sit a little bit and I sing a little bit and maybe even snore a little bit. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that, would you? Where do you worship? Is it only in the church house that you are able to worship? Or is it wherever you are, at all places, in all times? As we come this morning, we must understand worship is the act of ascribing worth to someone or something. And the worship of the true and living God is the act of giving God honor and praise, honor, glory, praise, love, adoration and thanksgiving for all that he is in himself. And especially for the work of Jesus Christ who provides salvation for the souls of sinners. Worship. It's giving God what he is worthy of. Indeed, Bob Deffenbaugh gives a great uh, definition of what true worship is. He says worship is the humble response of regenerate men to the self-disclosure of the Most High God. It is based upon the work of God. It is achieved through the activity of God. It is directed to God. It is expressed by the mind in awe, the lips in praise, and the life in service. This is what worship is. This is what we're, our goal is as a community. This is what the desire of our souls is to see from every person that exists upon this planet. We desire to see God worshiped. Expressed worship expressed as in the mind by all through the lips in praise, and through the life in service. Indeed, if we accept this definition of worship, then we must see worship not simply as a thing that we do sometimes in some places, but as, as the thing that we do in all times, at all places. Indeed, there is never to be a moment that is sacrificed to anything other than the worship of the true and living God, the God who has created us, the God who has saved us, the God who is sustaining us, the God who has secured our our destiny to be with him for all of eternity. There is not an ounce. There is not an area of life that is to be withheld from him. 
Romans chapter 12 and two, 12, one and verses 1 and 2 remind us of this truth as it challenges us to pre- present our bodies, our very beings, as, uh, as our spiritual service of worship. We are not to be conformed to this world, but we are to be what? Transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might prove what is the good and acceptable will of God, that which is good, or what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So if we, if we are going to be useful to the master, useful to the living God who has created us, who has saved us and who is sustaining us, then we must be willing to lay down our hearts. We must be willing to lay down our lives. We must be willing to use the time, the talents and the treasure that he has entrusted to us to, to see his kingdom go forward within this world. We must be diligent in our worship. We must be diligent in our work. Indeed, what we say we believe in the pages of scripture ought to impact how we behave within the communities God has planted us in. So let me ask you this morning, are you worshiping God throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, calls for his children, his chosen people to be what? Holy, even as I am holy. To let the beliefs that we say we have impact the behavior that demonstrates whether or not the confession is true. Indeed, we need to understand that because we are Christ Jesus, if we, if we are Christ Jesus, we are to what? To avoid the wickedness of this world so that we might be wholly consumed with worship and giving praise and honor and glory to God, that our mind would be filled with awe, our lips would be filled with praise, and our life would be filled with service for the living God. Story is told about an old man who used to go out to a general store that was located in the country. There at the country store, there was a, the owner had a clerk who was named Jake. And Jake was known throughout, far and wide, throughout the county as the laziest clerk you could ever meet in this world. One morning, the man walked into the general store. He looked around, and Jake was not there. He looked at the owner and said, well, where in the world is Jake? The, Jake, the owner looked back. He said, well, Jake finally retired. The man looked at him, and he said, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to replace Jake? What are you going to do with the vacancy that he left? The owner of the store looked back and just simply looked and smiled and said, Jake didn't leave no vacancy. Here's the question. If you were gone tomorrow morning, would Goldsboro, North Carolina, ever know or miss a servant of God in you? If you were gone tomorrow from this church and from this community, would the community ever even know that you were gone? Would they be able to tell or notice that a passionate prayer, a sincere and serious servant, a saint of the living God, a worthy worker was gone from the midst of our community? Listen, we have we have many who come and they simply darken the door so that they might come in and sit soak and sour, but they never stand up and serve. And we need to reverse that. We need to turn it around. We don't just need people to come sit, soak, and sour. We need to, people who are willing to come and stand, support, and serve as the gospel goes forward within this community. Where 
Are you filling the vacancies that God has given for the service in His kingdom? See, we need men and women of God that are useful to their master, not only in attendance, but in their service. Howard Hendricks says that there are two people, only two types of people within any congregation. There are the pillars and the caterpillars, the pillars that hold the church up, and the caterpillars who just crawl in and crawl out. Which one are you this morning? Where do you stand? Do you simply come and attend or are you actually a servant of God engaged and useful to your master? See, today we're going to talk about the type of person who is useful to the master and it should be the heartbeat of each and every one of us to have our epitaph read when we die and are buried useful to the master. The greatest thing that could ever be written about any human being was that he was useful to the living God who is his creator, his savior, and sustainer. Let us take for ourselves God's word, the Bible, and open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, and let us see there the, the application and the instruction that Paul gives to Timothy so that he and we might be useful to the master. Let's stand in honor of the reading of this God's holy word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 reads as follows. Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. If anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Father, that is our prayer. Lord, that upon being saved, having a changed and transformed heart, life, and mind, that we indeed might be useful within your kingdom of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, let us find a place where we would not uh, be lazy, but Father, where we would be serious servants. Father, where we would be sincere saints, where we would be passionate prayers, where we would be worthy workers to accomplish the desires of your heart. Lord, we ask now that as we study your word, your Holy Spirit would illuminate it, bring it to bear upon our lives so that we would go out differently than we came in. And Father, in all things, we ask that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. We see in this passage that those that flee sin and embrace godliness are the sincere servants useful to God in spreading his gospel. We see in this passage that those who flee sin and embrace godliness are the sincere servants that will be known far and wide that they are useful to the master. They're going to be useful to God in fulfilling the great commission. See, God uses clean men and clean women that flee from sin and embrace or pursue God godliness to serve and to work in fulfilling his great commission task that he has given to us 
Indeed, it is important for us to pray and to support and to give financially to things like the Lottie Moon Christmas offering and to support the gospel going around to the ends of the earth. But understand even more, God wants you to be useful and to bloom exactly where he has planted you for exactly the work and purposes he has planted you here. As we come this morning... I want to ask you, what kind of utensil, what kind of vessel are you? Are you a vessel that is useful to the master? Because see, here within this passage, we have two points. First of all, in verse 20, we see that there are utensils or vessels that are two, that that there are two types of utensils or vessels in God's house. First of all, there are those who are honorable and those who are dishonorable. But understand, God only uses one of those vessels and it is those vessels who is honorable. The second point is there in verses 21 and 22 that indeed, if we are going to to be an honorable vessel, we must be saved from sin by the work of Jesus Christ. We must be sanctified by the work of the Holy Spirit in using the word to apply to our lives. And we must be growing in godliness as we flee from sin. As we come this morning, let us see and understand how to be useful to the master, how to be vessels that God can use in his hands, in his house. As we begin this morning, let's first look at verse 20 and see instruments in God's house. See, in verse 20, we find an illustration of those instruments that are useful and honoring to the master and those that are dishonorable and unuseful to the master. As we begin to unpack this this passage, we must understand that indeed, in order to understand any text within the Bible for the original purposes and inspiration that God has given it, we must understand the what? The context of that passage. And so I want you to walk through chapter 2 with me and understand what is going on What is the high calling that God has inspired within this passage? In verse 1, God's servant is to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As he fulfills his service faithfully as a teacher, soldier, athlete, and farmer. In other words, in everything in your life, you are to be what? Faithful to God. In verse 12, we find that there will be bumps along the road of our service as we minister in the gospel. There are going to be difficult times that come. But understand, the true servant of God will not drop the baton of faith as they sprint toward the finish line of life. And so they will be faithful no matter what. They will endure suffering. In verse 15, the faithful steward of God will be approved as a workman. There will be no reason to be ashamed, but he will what? Accurately handle God's word of truth. So the entire chapter is building upon what theme? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. The faithfulness of the servant of the living God. Indeed, he has chosen vessels who are to work diligently, endure suffering, and accurately handle and apply God's word. And so Paul is telling Timothy here in this passage how to deal with some of the difficult times within the church, how to get through those bumpy roads. He has exhorted Timothy to use the scriptures properly and not as Hymenaeus and Philetus have, but to use them properly for the purposes that God has given them. He reminds Timothy to retain the firm foundation of God's gospel that saves the soul and secures the destiny of the sinner. For indeed, everyone who names the name of the Lord should what? Abstain from wickedness. Should turn away from wickedness. Indeed, Paul is urging Timothy 
to be a cleansed man who faithfully serves the living God. And now Paul gives an illustration in verse 20 of a large house where there are utensils, there are vessels, there are vessels of gold and silver, and there are vessels of wood and earthenware. The vessels of gold and silver are for honor, and those of wood and earthenware are for dishonor. The gold and silver vessels are kept clean so that they might be useful for honorable purposes, such as dinner parties and entertaining the wealthy, those who might be more wealthy, and come over and you want to show them how much you love them, how much they're worth, how much they mean to you, then you pull out the what? The good china. But just beside that is the common china. The wood and earthenware vessels that are mentioned in this passage are used for dishonorable purposes, perhaps in the kitchen to carry out the garbage or even to carry out human excrement and waste. He says there are two types of vessels here. There is the gold and silver which is honorable, the earthenware and the wood which are dishonorable. The gold and silver are used to entertain and to show the worth and value of, and while these other elements and vessels are often broken and cheaply replaced. See, the large house in this passage represents God's house, God's household of faith, the professing and visible church within this world. Some who associate with the church are truly born again. These are vessels of honor. They are just as honorable and valuable as the fine gold and silver that is used to entertain those of high distinction. Others, such as the false teachers Hymenaeus and Philetus, are probably not born again. They are the vessels for dishonor. They are common wooden and earthen utensils that would have been used to remove even garbage, trash, and waste. Paul saying, listen, nobody should be a vessel for dishonor. Everybody should seek to be a vessel of honor. Everybody should seek to be useful to the master. But the reality is, within the church, we understand There are those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Indeed, there are those who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and those who don't. Billy Graham says as many as 80% within the Evangelical Church of America are unsaved. Because it's a culture club and not a true Christian hospital, uh, not a true uh, Christian uh, rescue. uh, I'm trying... One day I'll get it. I don't know. What, I don't know where I was going, but I was going somewhere. I assure you um, that the, the church is not just to be a cultural club, but the church is to be a rescue hospital for sinners. To put it another way, Paul is saying here that God is not going to use a garbage pail in order to serve the pure and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a hungry world. Can you imagine being a guest at a wealthy home? You walk in and you sit down at a fine table and you look in every opulence. No opulence has been spared within the room and you look around and then all of a sudden when you get ready and it's time to eat, all of a sudden the guy comes out from the back and the kitchen door swing open and in walks this guy and he's carrying a trash can and he starts scooping food out and putting it on your plate. Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want any of that. That's what he's saying. You can't be changed and transformed by the living God and still live as if you had never been saved or changed at all. The kitchen, indeed, 
We need to understand God isn't going to use dirty lives to serve the good news of Christ to the world. Well, I've been sharing and ministering and witnessing to my boyfriend, but I just don't understand why he won't come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord while I'm sleeping with him every night. Well, I just can't understand why in the world my girlfriend would not come to want to embrace Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord when the whole time everything in your life is about sensual desires and you are showing that you have never been touched and changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. How in the world could my business partner not want to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord when he knows full well I'm cheating on the taxes, I'm cheating on him, I'm cheating and taking stealing money left and right. Listen, God doesn't use dirty garbage pills to facilitate the gospel going forward. Pure, holy, honorable vessels is what God uses. You remember mom's special dishes, don't you? And her special silverware. You know, the stuff that hadn't seen the light of day since they got married 40 years ago. You remember those dishes. Yeah, they're down in the dark cabinet, down in the bottom of the cupboard. And you're, you're sitting there going, well, when are we ever going to use those? Well, we don't use those except for on special occasions. The Wiggins household, that was uh, 364 days a year that they were in the bottom shelf. Just occasionally. And when they got broken out, you knew it was a special time because you knew it was going to be a great meal. It meant that lasagna was being cooked and the crumbers were coming. That's what it meant when mom said, go get those dishes. Indeed, we know and understand what it means to have vessels of honor and dishonor. Special vessels, costly vessels versus the common vessels. The distinction here is just that. Costly versus common. Those that are redeemed and regenerate who have been secured with a costly price to God of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. They have been filled with the Holy Spirit and gifted to serve the King as vessels of honor that present the gospel to the world. Those are the costly vessels. The common vessel was that one who has not been changed, that one who has not been transformed, the one who has not been set free from the captivity of sin. Let me ask you this morning, what kind of vessel are you? There are two kinds of vessels in God's household, honorable and dishonorable. As you sit here this morning and you hear these words, is it penetrating your heart that you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that you are not living an honorable life, that you are not displaying that you have been changed and transformed and set free from the power and penalty of sin, death, and hell? then this morning is the opportunity for you to surrender your life to Him, to give everything to Him, to hold nothing back, and to say, I desire to be an honorable vessel, useful to the Master. Secondly, not only are there instruments in God's house, but specifically now let's look at the instruments in God's hands. The instruments in God's hands are those honorable, honorable vessels that we just mentioned. 
The master of the house lays down only one condition in order for you to be useful to him. That's that you would be honorable, that you would have been redeemed and regenerate. But there are two necessary responses that we see there in verse 22. The vessels which God uses must be honorable. They must be clean. It is evident evident at once that some kind of purification must go on. That this is an indispensable condition of usefulness to Christ. But exactly what is he talking about? Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, does that mean that I can clean myself up, change myself, and then bring myself to a right relationship with Jesus Christ? No, that's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that the person who would be an honorable vessel must follow God's words in coming to be a child of God, to be a saint of the living God. In the context, these things refers to the false teaching of God's word and the wickedness that would have been practiced within the world. The false teaching, notice here, is not just a mental mistake. It's actually a sin that you need to be scrubbed clean off. See, when Paul says that a person needs to cleanse himself, he is not teaching that we are able to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves pure. For if you could do anything in and of yourself to deal with your problem of sin before God, then the death of Jesus Christ was utter foolishness. And indeed, there was no reason for Jesus to die if you could pay and make atonement for your sins. So what can you do? Well, here's what you can do. You can and must avail yourself of God's mean of cleansing the life so that you might have a right relationship with the Father. See, when I grew up, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, Georgia. I I told everybody when I came, the first Sunday that I came, I told them, I said, listen, I'm from the middle of nowhere. You would have never heard of it, even if I told you. In fact, the biggest industry we had in the town I grew up in was the 300-pound Avon lady. You'll get that later if you're not laughing now. And no, the Avon lady was not Olivia's mom. I told her when, the first time that uh, Olivia's mom came to be with the church, I, I said, and by the way, just so you know, uh, her mom is Avon lady in the local community, and she's punching Olivia. What does he mean, I'm the Avon lady? She, she was not. But understand, when, when I grew up, I grew up on a sawmill. And when we would get out there and we would work during the summer, that sawdust would blow absolutely everywhere. And we'd be working as hard as we can. Sweat is rolling off of us and as sweat, you know, globs together on the skin. What obviously happens with the sawdust? It sticks to us, right? And it's everywhere. I mean, it's in the ears, it's in the hair, it's in the shoes, it's in the socks. It's absolutely everywhere. It has covered us completely. And at the end of the day, in order that we might get home, we would go over to the air compressor and we'd take the air compressor and we'd blow it all off. But you know what we found? Even after we blew all of it off that we could get off, we were still not clean. We were still two or three shades darker than we were supposed to be. We were still having like itching all over in our hair and in our ears and all over the place. And finally, we had to come home. We had to take off the clothes. We had to get in the shower and we had to take up the soap and the washcloth and the shampoo and completely cleanse ourselves from the filth and wash it down the drain. We had to take use of the utensils that we had. 
Here's the thing. The gospel is just the same. God has given His Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross of Calvary in your place so that He might take the full wrath, justice, and judgment of God upon Him for your sin so that He might wash you when you repent of your sins and place your faith in Him. He might wash you in His blood and though your sins were as garlic, now they are white as snow. Oh, what a glorious God we serve. That he would wash the filth off, not just wash it off, but wash it off and drain it out and remove it from us. First John chapter one, verse seven, scriptures say, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. First John chapter one, verse nine explains how that happens when it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is a sense indeed when we become Christians that we are made clean one once and for all time in the blood of Jesus Christ. But we still walk within a defiled world and we are tempted to get dirty when we confess our sins. We apply the blood of Jesus to our filthy lives, to our dirty lives, and to be a vessel for honor. We must walk in the light, confessing all known sin to God. For vessels of dishonor walk in the darkness and do not cleanse themselves from sin. For to purify ourselves from these things, it means essentially this, that we would remove falsehood from our mind and we would remove wickedness from our lives and our walk. Let me ask you this morning. I I touched on it just a moment ago. But how are you doing in the areas of your testimony to others? Do they see and know that your mind has been transformed by the renewing of your mind with the Word of God? Do they know that you, have, you are following after the teachings of Scripture in such a way that it changes and transforms the desires of your heart so that the whole community around you, the whole church knows and understands how much you love Jesus, that you love Him more than you love even yourself? See, cleanliness cleanliness is the condition for service and cleanliness only comes for those who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so the honorable vessel has been washed white as snow and is being sanctified, increasingly conformed to the character of Christ. It, it, the, the useful utensil is, is useful to the master because they are giving their time, their talent, and their treasure to serve Christ. Indeed, isn't it, a, isn't it somewhat bothersome? I don't know about you, but like for me, I, I'll just tell you, I absolutely hate germs. Hate germs. I can't stand germs, and and I blame it all on my chemistry professor back in in college because he made the statement one day as we were going around, there are eons of ions everywhere. Basically what it meant is everywhere you look, there's contamination. And for me, that made me a germaphobe. But isn't it absolutely repulsive? When somebody brings you out at the local restaurant, brings you out a fork or a plate, and on that plate or on that fork is the crusted food that's left over from the last customer. Here's your utensil. It's not useful to me. You want to be useful to the Lord? You want to be useful to your master? 
Don't let anything corrode or corrupt or, or just fill your life with filth in any way. You make sure everything is clean. And if it's not clean today, then you spend the time searching out and seeing where your heart is wrong and deceitful and what you need to confess. Why? Because if we confess our sins to God, what does He say that He will do? He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make all things new. He also wants us to be ready for every good work. Prepared has this idea, has the idea of being willing and ready to serve whenever God wants me, wherever God wants me, I'm ready to go. It doesn't take anything else. In verse 22, we move on and we see two necessary responses that demonstrate a life that has been surrendered to God and is useful to the master. What are those two responses? Well, first of all, there's a flight from something and a flight to something. There's fleeing from youthful lust and there's fleeing to pursuing godliness that's exactly what is going on he says listen you want to be a christian you want to make an impact in the world you want to be a person who is of great use to your master then you flee youthful lust and you pursue godliness indeed i was quite surprised and shocked because i'd always read this passage and said well youthful lust you know what that is sensual desires right That's what I immediately thought. That's what I've always assumed about that passage that is talking about sexual or sensual desires. And it is right that this term would encompass those desires. But understand, uh, where do we get the term dirty old men? From the fact that they have sensual and sexual desires as well. First Timothy or First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three. What does it say? This is God's will for you. You want to know God's will? Let me just go ahead and show you and share what it says that you would what be sanctified, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. So indeed, it's right to understand that we are not to be people who are known for sexual or sensual desires. Indeed, what is God's plan for the familial relationship, for the practice of human sexuality? It is just this, that we would leave, cleave, and interweave one man with one woman. Just by way of mentioning... uh, If you didn't notice this week in the local paper, they decided to promote a union between two women. We need to be very clear about what God's Word says. It says that marriage is to be between one man and one woman. And what is the process? Young people, let me tell you the process. This is straight from Genesis chapter 2. First of all, you leave, then you cleave, and then you interweave. You got that? Leave your parents, cleave to one another, and interweave and become one flesh. That's the process God lays out for the pursuit of human sexuality. But understand, this passage is talking about so much more when it says youthful lust, for it is referring to the wrong desires that young men are prone to. John Calvin said, It is the propensity of younger men to lose their tempers and rush forward into a heated argument with more confidence and rashness than men of riper age do. Isn't it amazing, guys, as we get older, how our tempers diminish? We don't get quite as upset at the smaller things. Why? Because we don't think we can take everybody in the world. 
Gordon Fee says that in this passage, Paul is speaking of headstrong passions of youth who sometimes love novelties, foolish discussions and arguments that all too often lead to quarrels. Isn't it amazing to watch the kids in the nursery as one looks at the other and says, "Uh uh-uh, it's mine, Uh uh-huh, it's mine. About ten minutes into it, you ask them, what are you arguing? We don't know. Foolish discussions. Foolish fights. The impetuousness of those youthful desires. And that's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Listen, there's a right way and a wrong way to fight error. But listen, you stand firm on the central doctrines of Scripture. But listen, don't go off hot-headed and half-cocked. That's what he's saying. The Bible commands us to flee from from youthful uh, desires. Bible commands us to flee from other sins as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee immorality. Don't flirt with it. Don't play with it. Don't stand there and pray about what, what should I do. Listen, get on your bus and flee. Pack up your things and go. What do we see in the Old Testament with jo- Joseph and uh, Potiphar's wife? What do we see? He leaves his garment in her hands and runs out the door. He flees from the temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, flee from idolatry. And you may be thinking, well, I'm doing pretty good in that, Pastor. I don't have to worry about being, fleeing from idolatry because I don't have any idols. Really? Have you ever given anything to the place that God is supposed to have within your home, within your life? I'm sure you never allow sports to come in the way of God, right? Or watching Bachelor ladies? Or maybe it's Facebook. We? Talking on the cell phone? Texting on the cell phone? Seniors? Maybe it's watching Fox News that comes between you and your time with God. Maybe it's just relationships. That you gave up God in His rightful place for having a relationship with someone else. And now you think that that guy hung the moon and has all of creation in his hands and the reality is he doesn't hold anything. God holds him. And just in the same way that you are giving your worship to him and your time and your talents and your treasure to him or to her, you ought to be giving them first to who? To God and to God alone. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, flee from the love of money. Flee from the love of money. Don't let it overcome you. Don't let it uh, wrap you up and hold you in bondage. Indeed, fleeing and pursuing are opposites. And it's not just enough to flee from sin, but we are to flee to something. We are to pursue godly character. That word pursue is literally the word that is translated persecute throughout the New Testament. It means to go after with a vengeance. We are to go after these four things. We are to go after righteousness, the character of God, the right standing according to those who would obey and keep God's command commands that He has made known in God's Word. Two, we are to be people who are known as faith people, as faithful people. We are to rest on trust in God's revelation and His character and be consistent in a genuine relationship with God. Thirdly, we are to be people who pursue, who go hard after love, self-sacrifice, living for the good of others with the actions that demonstrate our character 
caring and compassion. Finally, we are to be people who are peaceful people, a genuine harmony and fellowship with God and with others. Indeed, in Romans, we see and understand that we are charged with what? With as far as it concerns us, we are to be at peace with all people. Let me ask you this morning, how are you doing? Righteousness, faith, love, peace. Are you walking in those things? Are you increasing in those things? Because if you're not, then it's questionable whether or not you are an honorable vessel who is useful to the master. How can I be made right? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 makes it very clear. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you so that what? So that in him you might be the righteousness of God. If you want to hope in yourself and you want to blow yourself off with an air hose and think that God's going to take you on your own terms, cleaned up in your own way, then let me tell you, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Because there is coming a day when God will separate the tares from the wheat, the sheep sheep from the goats. He's going to sort out His church and His household and understand there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor within God's household. But even more importantly than that, He's going to give rewards to those who are vessels of honor who are useful in the Master's hand. This morning, if you want to be in God's kingdom and know that you're in God's kingdom, surrender your life, sacrifice your life submit your life to jesus christ and live for him and him alone if you want to be useful to god and you want to see him work in your life then listen you surrender your time your talents and your treasure and you be willing to be a servant of god above everything else in this world father allow us to see and know where we need to surrender our lives father Allow each and every person within this house, Father, to know whether they are honorable or dishonorable. And for those who are dishonorable this morning, those who are living in their own affections, in their own desires, pursuing their own passions, Lord, we pray that they would repent of those sins, place their faith in Christ, and surrender everything to you. And Father, that they would make that known right now, that they wouldn't wait a moment more, but Father, that they would come and surrender everything to you and to you alone. Father, for those of us who do know you, And we are honorable vessels, but Father, maybe we're tarnished. Maybe we've been tucked away in the cupboard this morning. Father, we have been challenged and charged to be servants of the living God, and we have not been living in that. Lord, may you convict our hearts, and Father, may you call us to surrender everything to you and to you alone. Father, let us be useful in the Master's hands. Father, Let us give all of our time, all of our talents, and all of our treasure to you as we flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, pursue love, pursue faith, and pursue peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May you lead us and guide us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together now as our hymn of invitation.